Welcome to the Hashcast, a short show focused on mining Bitcoin at home, brought to you every 2016 blocks at the time of the difficulty adjustment. This is episode 371. Today is August 18th, 2022. I'm your host, Akano Alchemist. This show offers you a chance to catch up on the last two weeks of Bitcoin mining stats, news, developments, home miner setups, and any breaking privacy implications. I hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Shout out to our sponsor, Upstream Data, your one-stop shop for Bitcoin mines of any scale, specializing in rugged outbuildings to house the technology needed to bring stranded energy to market through Bitcoin mining. Upstream Data has been helping capture what would have been wasted natural gas for several years with easily maintained natural gas engines that run the generators needed to power a room full of ASICs on oil and gas wells. Navigate over to shop.upstreamdata.ca and check out their online store where you can order any of their solutions, whether you're looking to spin up multiple megawatts of production or just trying to mine privately and quietly in your own backyard with the black box. Upstream Data offers something for Bitcoin mines of any scale. If you would care to make a donation, I keep a Cypherpunk Pay server online that serves a fresh Bitcoin address each time. Scan this QR code and it'll take you to donate.econoalchemist.com. And there you can enter a dollar amount and donate with Bitcoin. Or if you're a Samurai Wallet or Sparrow Wallet user, you can connect with my pay name, ICSUN189, and make a private Bitcoin donation using my payment code. With that, let's jump into stats. Looking at bitrar.com, the difficulty has increased 0.628% this morning. Still trying to reclaim the traction lost a couple difficulty adjustments ago when there was a massive 5% drop. This brings the total difficulty to 28.35 trillion. At this level, difficulty is still slightly lower than it was four months ago in April of this year. The longer difficulty can remain subdued like this, the more of a chance miners get to stack more stats for their hash. Moving on to Hashrate with mempool.space. Hashrate looks to be continuing a long-term downtrend when looking at it with the 14-day moving average. Peaking around 222 exahash mid-May, then down to 208 exahash at the beginning of June, then back up to 220 exahash, then down to 206, up to 212, then down to 194. And now it has climbed back up to 205 exahash and has started a broader declining trend. Even though the short-term overall hash rate is up, if this trend of making lower highs and lower lows continues, then I wouldn't be surprised if we see this 14-day moving average trend line touch the 180 exahash mark in the near future. Let's take a look at ASIC prices with the hash rate index. The most efficient ASICs on the market are continuing their downward descent into the low $30 per terahash range, hovering around $33 per terahash right now. However, at the moment, the secondary distributors seem to be charging slightly more at roughly $37 per terahash. You should be able to find the 104 terahash Wutzminer M30S++ for roughly 3,900 bucks, which is about $300 cheaper than it was the last, the last difficulty epoch. Wutzminer M50A6 should start hitting the open market by the beginning of September, and they give you 118 terahash at only 28 watts per terahash. So if you can hold out for those models, you will certainly be at an advantage in terms of efficiency. They will likely have a price tag somewhere between $4,500 and $5,500, I'm guessing. You may even see some for like $6,000. 
Moving on to mining insights at insights.brains.com. The hash value hovers near 458 sats per terahash per day, and the hash price hovers around 11 cents per terahash per day. So if you have a 100 terahash ASIC, then it should be earning you roughly 45,800 sats per day at a current US dollar value of roughly $10.78, which means that if you're paying less than 14 cents per kilowatt hour, all in electricity prices, then you are getting more sats for your money than you could be by spending that money at an exchange. Plus, you're not subjecting yourself to the dangers of KYC. The Antminer S9 is breaking even at roughly five cents per kilowatt hour right now. So if you're paying more than that for electricity, then you're operating at a loss currently. But depending on how long you've been mining with that S9, you may still be in pretty good shape depending on what your total dollar cost average is altogether. Top three mining pools at the moment are Foundry in first place with 23.5% of the overall Bitcoin network hash rate, Bitmain's Amp Pool with 15.5% in second place and F2 pool with 14.8% in third place. Slush pool is currently in seventh place, the seventh largest Bitcoin mining pool with a hash rate of 5.2%, which puts them 4.2% behind the next largest pool via BTC, which currently has 9.4% of the overall network hash rate. With that, let's move on to news. From No Bullshit Bitcoin, U.S. government prohibits export of three nanometer chip technology. This is an interesting headline. Apparently, the U.S. Commerce Department has the authority to restrict exports of certain products from 41 other countries around the world. In 2013, these 41 countries entered into an agreement with the United States called the Wassenaar Agreement. In this agreement, the U.S. gets to police what products those countries are allowed to export. Apparently, three nanometer semiconductors made the list for concerns about technologies used in advanced weapons. I'm not clear about whether or not this will impact ASIC manufacturers, but from the way it's written, I do think this means that three nanometer ASICs may not be coming to the market as soon as we anticipate it. If you recall, at the end of June, I covered an article in the Hashcast episode number 368 where Samsung and Whatsminer teamed up to give Whatsminer first access to their three nanometer chips. And I'll link this article in the show notes, but this could mean that Whatsminer does not get to export ASICs that have three nanometer chips in them. Um, I could be going out on a limb by making that assumption, but we'll find out soon. In other news from Bitcoin Magazine, Bitmain to start financing mining operations. It looks like Bitmain will be expanding their product offerings by now including financing for Bitcoin mining operations. The terms of the financing appear to be favorable at 6.6% interest on the low end and capping out at 8.8% interest. If I'm not mistaken, that makes Bitmain a direct competitor with Galaxy Digital for Bitcoin miner financing products. Moving on to developments. This was an interesting find. A church was converted to a mining facility and it is up for sale on Craigslist in Austin, Texas. So this church has been fully converted. You can see all the 
coolant lines coming out the back of the building there into these like uh, radiator coolers. And they've got a whole bunch of mining infrastructure installed inside the church. They've got security cameras and you can see that it's just been converted into a big old mining facility. So uh, $100,000 will get that. And it comes with six S17 plus 83 terahash each in immersion. Comes with two S19J Pros, 100 terahash each, four L3 plus plus. I think that's Litecoin, if I'm not mistaken. And then 32 various GPUs for whatever other mining endeavors you may want to get into. It's a 4,000 square foot building with a 400 amp service. So not a bad deal for $100,000. That's all I've got for developments. Let's move on to Home Miner Hall of Fame. First up at JC Hots, that's H-O-T-Z on Twitter with the mining site development. This is an interesting story because he starts the thread off with a picture of this empty field. He's got his dog, his solar panels, wind turbine in the background. And then you follow his progress along and you can see some construction materials showing up. And then in the next few pictures, you can see the utility companies starting to do their work. Massive transformer cabinet there and massive electrical lines being ran into the CT cabinet. And then you get to this part where he's got his container on site now. It looks like it's hooked up to the transformer. And there's the size comparison with the dog to the transformer. Uh, so this has just been a really exciting thread to follow along with because it's awesome watching people build out this infrastructure and make this progress in their mining endeavors. So check that out. Check that out on Twitter. It's definitely worth giving damn it Jeff a follow. Next Bitcoin home miner is at Bitcoin Dario. Uh, I liked this video because he actually combined a Bitcoin mining enclosure with the Crypto Cloaks mining pants to help move the air out efficiently. And so he's got a video there of his ASIC running inside that enclosure. You can see the, the mining pants on the ASIC there. And then that's just coupled right into the end of the enclosure. So yeah, he's doing it. He got his, his ASIC set up and running and and you ought to give him a follow if you're not doing so already. And finally, let's take a look at some privacy implications. This one may seem irrelevant to you as a Bitcoiner, but there's an undertow of implications here that affect all privacy advocates. The Ethereum privacy tool Tornado Cash and corresponding addresses were added to the US sanctions list. Then the Tornado Cash developer was arrested following the sanctions. Now, you may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with Bitcoin? What the U.S. Treasury Department has done here through their Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, is that they have, for the first time in history, sanctioned a software tool. Not a person, not a business, not a nation state, a tool. This tool, Tornado Cash, is a privacy-enabling software tool that exists as a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain. As such, Tornado Cash is completely neutral, and it has no awareness of what users intend to use this tool for. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of completely normal and healthy reasons to use a privacy tool for transactions made on a public blockchain, and no one can control what a person decides to do with a tool. We don't sanction fire because someone commits arson with it. 
In fact, if this type of erratic behavior from the government is not put in check, then you may very well wake up to find fire being sanctioned one day. So that brings me back to Bitcoin. You may be saying to yourself that this is the centralized and capturable nature of the Ethereum ecosystem that makes this a problem. You may be saying to yourself that the situation doesn't apply to Bitcoin because it is decentralized and censorship resistant. But you must understand that Tornado Cash is still operating. It is still reachable. The nice looking API interfaces have been taken down, but the service continues to run. In fact, something like $63 million worth of Ethereum have been moved off of Tornado Cash since after the sanctions were put in place. It's just that anyone caught interacting with Tornado Cash or any associated Ethereum addresses that are linked to Tornado Cash can be thrown in a cage for the rest of their lives. Take any tool that exists on Bitcoin, like Lightning, for example. If the US government sanctioned Lightning, then yes, Bitcoin would continue to work as it does today. Some Lightning nodes would continue to remain online and reachable as they are today. Lightning wallets would still be functional, but the difference is that anyone caught making Lightning payments with others could face life in prison for doing so. The ripple effects would be that many Lightning node operators would either crumble under the pressure or start enforcing strict KYC requirements to remain compliant. So don't think that decentralization is some sort of saving grace here. Tornado Cash is decentralized and it is still reachable online. The penalties for using such a tool now are so severe that most people will not take the chance using it. You can even prove beyond a reasonable doubt your exact transaction history through Tornado Cash, but authorities don't care. That's not the point here. You can even show deterministically and you can reveal those details about yourself, which is the essence of privacy itself, the ability to selectively reveal information about yourself. Tornado Cash gives you the ability to reveal your exact transaction history and you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you are not laundering money, that you just have some normal and healthy privacy concerns that you are using Tornado Cash to address, but they don't care. They don't want privacy in cryptocurrency. And this fight will come to Bitcoin. That is what Bitcoiners would have to face if OFAC sanctions started targeting Bitcoin tools. Of course, those tools will remain functional because they are decentralized and technically unstoppable, but that's just like what's happening with Tornado Cash. And that's what you need to understand here. It is decentralized and it is still reachable online. It's just that the nice API interfaces have been taken down. People are still using Tornado Cash. But who's going to use those kinds of tools in the face of such severe penalties? That fear of facing the full weight of the state's violence is what keeps people from using tools to protect themselves. So you may want to come to the realization that the pursuit of freedom means that you're willing to put your life on the line to defend those freedoms. Otherwise, a life under someone else's control, it's not worth living. So you may as well fight to the death to protect your freedoms and values because if you don't, then you will have them taken away and what you will be left with is a hollow existence under some psychopath's vision of what your life should be. Those are the far-reaching implications of this tornado cash situation. Don't just brush this off as some problem that exists on another blockchain and you don't have to think about it. There's a deeper rooted issue here and it's the fight for privacy, which is a human right.
Okay, that's enough ranting from me. Let's move on with the guest appearance for this show. I had the chance to catch up with two very special guests this difficult epoch. They have put a lot of time and effort into heating their hot tub with a Bitcoin miner and creating a great Substack article that details every step of their process. It was a pleasure to meet them, and I hope you enjoy this segment. Aaron E. Malone and Sat Stack Sage, welcome to the Hashcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys have posted this really cool project where you took a Bitcoin S9 and you're using it to heat your hot tub. So I wanted to talk about that project with you guys because you've put out some good content on Twitter, documenting all your progress, and then you've also posted a lot of video clips and then you've compiled this like awesome sub stack with like step-by-step instructions. So I just wanted to give viewers an idea of, you know, this whole project and, and who you are and what your backgrounds are. So would you guys care to share anything about your background and, and let viewers know who you are? Sure. You want to go for it? All right. Um, I mean, just, uh, in summary, um, I've been building computers since building and rebuilding computers since I was like 17 years old. Uh, so I've probably, you know, built 20 computers in my life. And the, the best part of it is building the computer. Once it's done, it's, you know, uh, it's just, it's just a computer. So I've always enjoyed the process of figuring everything out and water cooling and, and all that. So. Oh, so are I, the are the computers you build water cooled too? Uh, air cooled and water cooled. Gotcha. There's different challenges with each one because air cooled you have to figure out proper airflow with the minimal sound, uh, which people are always also you know focusing on with home heating S nines right where they're just blowing air through, but you want to keep the noise down. Uh, so and then water cooling is obviously getting enough radiator size and making your plumbing good and making it all look good and stuff so awesome do you uh, yeah do you do coding too no i do not no. okay nope. me neither well <laughs> html but that's it awesome yeah and how about you aaron what's your background uh my bitcoin background is i got in in 2017 um end of 2017 and you know didn't really understand it education then wasn't great and then 2020 hit and wasn't working as much. I had a lot of free time. And I think it was Michael Saylor that really sent me down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I was consuming like eight hours of Bitcoin content a day. Just every book, podcast, was obsessed. I still am. But um, yeah, I went down the rabbit hole. And then I think it was January 2021, Clubhouse started. I don't know if you have ever been on Bitcoin Clubhouse, but those first few months was like, a brain dump like I consumed so much information I self-custody I was just like leveling up my Bitcoin game and then a couple months later I was kind of bored I'm like okay what's the next level like how can I how can I level up my Bitcoin knowledge so I started running a node and I started running a lightning node in April 2021 and had no idea what I was getting into and then two weeks after I started running a node um, I was a founding member of PlugNet which were, I don't know if you've heard of PubNet, but it's a lightning node community where we like teach people how to run lightning routing nodes. 
And there were 15 of us the first night, and now there's like well over 6,000 people, and we've trained thousands of people how to run nodes. So done that, and then maybe December 2021, I was kind of getting bored again, and I'm like, okay, what's, the, what's next? What can I do next? And I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of cold out. I'm running this electric space heater to heat my apartment. It's expensive. I'm like, and I had seen people on Twitter using S9s or other miners to, you know, use the excess heat to heat spaces. So I'm like, that sounds interesting. I'll just, I bought an S9 and I, you know, I started running Brains. Um, Brains is, makes it so you can throttle your miner up and down and it makes it a lot more efficient. So I was able to fine tune the miner quiet enough to run in my apartment and heat my entire apartment. So I have, it's about a thousand square foot apartment. I heated the entire thing with one S9 this winter. So that was kind of cool. And then Sage and I met a couple months ago and I was running my S9 as a heater. And I'm like, I have a hot tub. I would love to heat my hot tub with an S9, but I have no understanding of how to build that. And he's like, I used to water cool computers. We can figure this out. Yeah. So yeah, we put our brains together. That's great. It's teamwork. So yeah. Aaron, my Bitcoin journey was a lot like yours where like I got bit by the Bitcoin bug and then I like stopped eating. I stopped sleeping. I was just completely obsessed yeah. with consuming as much content as possible for weeks. And um, like a lot of that was like Andreas Antonopoulos books and, and YouTube videos. And yeah, it's it can be really addicting. And then and then Sage, have you been into Bitcoin uh, for as long as Aaron, or when did when did you discover Bitcoin and start getting into it? Well, it, that depends on how you define it. Uh, so like 2011, 2012, I was looking into building a mining rig because I had free electricity in my apartment at that point, actually. Uh, not a, I didn't, I only had like one or two circuit breakers, I think. So it wasn't a huge amount, but it was enough. So I started researching building a mining rig and um, decided not to, almost bought an ASIC back then, like one of the original from Butterfly Labs. They turned out to be sort of scammy, took them a year to ship ASICs while they were mining themselves with them, most likely. Um, so, and I actually met someone that did the same thing and he got it shipped to him eventually. So he made his money back on it, but it took him a while. So then I kind of just read about it in the news and a little bit over the years and 2016, 2017 is when I got back into it. Um, but initially I got back into it just as a mining rig. So it was, again, it was like building a computer for fun. It wasn't, oh, I got to buy Bitcoin. It was, oh, I could mine Bitcoin and turn electricity into Bitcoin for free. Well, I should do that. So I built a open bench mining rig with five GPUs, set it up in my bedroom and was heating my bedroom up to 90 degrees with the window open when it's 30, 40 degrees outside and freezing. And it was a bit much. I ran it for like three months, then posted it on Craigslist, doubled my money on it, and then dumped that into Bitcoin. Um, gotcha. And then slowly started accumulating. Um, I was on a, like a local chat in the county that I live in. Uh, talking about Bitcoin and they were also into a lot of crypto stuff. So, you know, I, I did end up buying some uh, chit coins, but um, uh, I dumped everything last year uh, and paid my capital gains to, to put it into some other project. So, and then, so it was interesting when I met Aaron, I had no, nothing, nothing no crypto, Bitcoin, anything, except I had like, 
one Bitcoin in GBTC, one Bitcoin in, you know, GBTC. So in my uh, Roth IRA, uh, that was it. And so she got me back into it and kind of down the rabbit hole, um, you know, reading about it and all that stuff. And, uh, and then the most exciting part for me was building the hot tub miner because it's a mechanical, uh, you know, project that is like fascinating to figure out. I also host a Bitcoin right. meetup, so I made him come to the meetup because I was like, you need to hear this from other people, not just me, because I felt like I was just talking about Bitcoin all day long. So <laughs> he got a, a wide array of people like it's that were Bitcoin only and yeah. got him away from the bad stuff. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it, it sounds like you guys got a little bit of everything going on. You've got you're mining Bitcoin. You, you figured out a clever way to use the heat. Um, you're using it for the for the hot tub now, and then you've got your lightning nodes, and you're doing the Bitcoin meetups. So, I mean, that's great. It just sounds like this is really kind yep. of, you know, developed into a lifestyle more than just like a side project. And I think that happens to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it takes over your life. <laughs> the neighbor, so, the neighbor so actually you... asked if the because when we were running the experiments on the hot tub, we were throttling the miner up and down. And our neighbors were like, do you guys have yeah. an ice cream maker outside? Like, what is happening? They like, said that they're like, we're taking bets on what you have yeah. going on down there. Because we had it sitting, you know, sitting outside in the in the Tupperware tub, like throttling up and down. So the fan, you know, when a S9 boots up, it's like a jet engine with the yeah fans. Right, right. And then I think like when you said you're using brains to auto tune it, right? And so is there like a lot yeah. of variable in the, the fan noise there too? Yeah, when we were tuning it, um, and yeah. it, it, after you tune it to a certain power level, it remembers that. So once you get there once, so the first couple of weeks we were, it yeah. was making a lot of noise. The the thing is also the fan, because the chips are so cool with the water cooling, the fan like is, you can barely hear it. Yeah. Um, it's just there to keep the power supply cool mostly and just all the boards just cool-ish because they are sitting outside. So they get hit with you know, the 90 degree heat outside, but really it's, it's the board itself, the ASIC, the, you know, ASIC boards, they sit at like 60 to 70 degrees, like Celsius, yeah. all, all, yeah, see all day long, like no, no big deal. Whereas, you know, uh, brains targets 90 C, um, yeah, when I was heating my for apartment, my, efficiency. my miner was at 90 C. So the water oh, going wow. tremendously lowered. The yeah. temperature. And so it helps your yeah. efficiency a lot too, having the temperature down. Yeah. So right now that the miner's tuned and running, it's running at 500 watts. The fan is at 1%. Like you can't even hear it. It's completely quiet. So cool. Yeah. Well, let's, let's back up for a second. So, I mean, Aaron, you cut, you mentioned that, you know, you, I think you said you had a hot tub and you wanted to heat it with the miner. How did you, mm -hmm. how did you arrive at that idea? Have you seen, um, there's this dude, Jesse Pelton on Twitter who has the, the spa, the spa 250. 256. Yeah. 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 Is that where yeah. you got your inspiration from? So I think once you start mining you and you dig into the whole like grid system and energy, like, like right, like Bitcoin mining takes you down a crazy rabbit hole of energy consumption. I feel like you start seeing wasted energy everywhere. So I was like, okay, how can I mine? Cause I, you know, we're in Northern California, so energy is not cheap. Yeah. So I'm constantly thinking of ways to like, you know, use a miner instead of something else. And I'm like, I'm using, you know, I had, it's an inflatable hot tub. It's not like a crazy amount of power, but I'm still heating it. And I just thought, 
that's a great, like what, what else can I use heat for? I'm like, I could heat yeah. dry my, um, my clothes. I could heat my hot tub. So yeah. The great thing about, uh, mining too, in general is there's two sides. There's using waste electricity that cannot be used or cannot be consumed elsewhere. And then there's the excess heat produced by the mining that can be used to heat stuff. So any resistive heating appliances that are just going to use electricity to make heat, like the computer generates almost as much heat as a resistive heater. So you get almost the same amount of heat output per amount of electricity you put into it as a regular heater. And so, you know, it's, yeah, Yeah. it's a no brainer. Right. And Um, just, just out of curiosity, is it natural gas heating or electric heating where you live? It's electric heating. Yeah. Yeah. The only heater of, I would say the only heater that would be like cheaper, uh, or, or cost parity because it's, it's cheaper with the sats you get than just electric heating is a air conditioning that does a heat pump. So it reverses the air conditioning because that's like three times more efficient than just burning electricity for heat. So if you have like a really expensive $10,000 HVAC system that does reversing heat pump system for your house, then it's probably about as efficient as heating your house with a Bitcoin miner. Wow. Um, but you might as well use a Bitcoin miner and get, you know. Yeah, yeah and get the exactly. Bitcoin, right. Are exactly. you, are you using the uh, Bitcoin miner in like your HVAC system inside the home too? Or just on, just with the hot tub right now? Just with the hot tub, and then I actually just got another S9 because we took mine apart to heat the hot tub for the winter. So I'll use the, the other S9 just as a space heater. We don't, I don't have awesome. an HVAC system. Yeah. So. And that's the next project Gosh. is building a box for the S9 to quiet it down. Um, so I want to try using some larger fans then come with it and then ducting them down through it so that they're quieter, but they move the same amount of air. Uh, and then putting a little bit of um, sound insulation uh, batting inside it so that it keeps the noise down to like nothing, but we get the same, you know, so you can turn it up higher if you want. Like you're like, oh, it's really cold right now. Bump it up to a thousand, right. but how, not have it screaming at you and keep it warm in there. Yeah. You've seen the, the torturous path air design inside the black box, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that is, is a very clever trick and it reduces the yep. sound by like 20 decibels. So that really helps. So, okay. So, so you, you, you recognized where there was, uh, efficiency losses with electricity and heating and you had this hot tub and, and then, so you found this kit on eBay and it's got, it's got all these water plates in it. So you get the kit and then you got the heating coil. And I mean, were there like instructions that you were following to kind of piece this all together or was this just kind of like coming from experience or how, how did yeah, you decide just... what to what to get and how to put this all together um the, there's there's no the the only info that i found when i was like researching and just figuring everything out because the more you can find the better um was just the guy the shaw 256 doing the immersion cooling that was it. You know, I basically, I saw, I was like, Oh, okay. They're doing immersion cooling. I'm not sure how they're plumbing it, uh, you know, like with the heat exchanger. Right. But, um, and then after we got, after we built it, I found the guy that 
did, or the, actually he posted the video after we did yeah. it, um, who was doing a home, uh, home hot. Oh, well that was that yeah, guy. Was thinking, yeah. This guy was heating a, he's filling a hot water heater with an ASIC. Um, and so he's got a heat exchanger plate that changes the heat from the water or from the mineral oil loop to the water loop in the, in the hot water heater. But, um, yeah, there was really, there's no, there's no guides. There's a lot of experience. Um, there's water cooling guides yeah. for PCs, right? And, you know, I mean, back when I was water cooling PCs, like, you're always thinking of like, oh, you know, how can I, how can I get this to be better? You know, I mean, back in 20, 2010, you know, I took a AC unit apart and put it into a water bath and then I put a water loop from that water bath through my water cooling on the PC. So I got the water chilled down to like 30 degrees Fahrenheit, cooling the PC loop, right? With an air conditioner sitting there. So like doubling up on the cooling um, to get overclocking. So, you know, I've always like liked figuring out. We like to tinker with stuff. So yeah. This is a perfect project Exactly. For us. Yeah. And then yeah, we were like, we might as well catalog it while we're at it to make it easier for other people to figure stuff out for the plus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I always like to tell people there's no like set standard that's just going to work in every situation because every home's different and there's just, you know, there's going to be something different and unique about every setup. And so, so yeah, it, it just looks like you, you got some good inspiration from people that were doing immersion and other water cooled projects was there a particular reason you decided not to go with immersion and that you decided to go with the water cooled technique? Um, so, so immersion cooling has been around a long time in the PC cooling world. And I was familiar with it back then. I almost tried it back then, but what stopped me was, uh, a, if you get particulates of anything in the oil, uh, especially stuff that will conduct electricity, uh, it will move around and you could short circuit stuff um, because you're, everything is in the bath. And so if anything gets into the bath that can short, a little bit of a drop of water gets in the bath, right? And it could go and it could hit, hit the circuit board, right? So there's, there's situations with that. Also back when, when, back then, it would actually eat away at certain parts of the circuit board um, or certain things on the circuit board. So it would cause issues long-term, uh, short-term, whatever, you know, like, Oh, I'm cooling it down. It, it's cool. Right. But, and then the fact that, um, these can get the, the S nines can get up to 90 C that's really hot. So if some of these guys that are doing immersion cooling, they're using a fish tank and then they're heating up oil and they're boiling the oil in a fish tank. What if it cracks and there's boiling oil, like gallons of boiling oil all over the place, right? Uh, so, right. Uh, you know, when you're water cooling with plates, the worst thing that can happen is you get a little water on the board and you fry the board. And that's where I designed the whole setup so that all the water outlets are below the Tupperware container. And so you don't really have any chance of getting any water on all the electronics. And then they're all inside a sealed box. So I kind of tried to put a lot of effort into keeping it all separate, keep the water away from the electronics for safety and for longevity of the project. 
And um, not that there's anything wrong with immersion cooling. And now there's new immersion liquids that are for PC cooling too. So there's a new liquid that's not oil. It's some special antifreeze that's non-conductive. And I don't, you know, I think guys like that the, are doing... Like dielectric oil? It's, it's dielectric. I don't think it's oil. It's some other... Yeah, it's, you know, some DuPont chemical or something probably, right? But, gotcha. uh, it you know, it does the same thing and it's non-corrosive, so it's not going to eat away at the boards or anything like that. But um, really, the the thing about our setup, too, is that you still have to transfer the heat from the system to whatever you want the heat at. And so you still have to have a heat exchanger and you have to pump the liquid and so i just decided to do it this way for safety and you know it felt like the way to do it because i've done it before uh with pcs yeah i mean it, it's aligned with the experience you already have and you know it's also outside so you certainly are at more risk there of getting some contaminants into the immersion oil if you had gone that route um so yeah i mean yeah. i think you made the right choice and and I've got I've got two little kids at home, and yeah, it, I'm building an immersion system, and I'm I'm pretty concerned about taking measures to protect them from burning hot oil. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's you know there's a lot to consider there. So if yeah. if viewers wanted to you know try building a system like this, can you kind of walk them through like like how they could get started and what they would need to do? I know you've got everything spelled out in the in the sub stack there, but is there any like, you know, core highlights you want to you want to walk through? Um, I think the the bottom line is. If you're it, like, it's good to have because you're you're using, you know, electronics and some high voltage with the power supply, it's good to have someone who is a professional uh, supervise or you know, be comfortable with it yourself and safety. Um, and then uh, probably just, you know, keep in mind that you might not find all the exact parts we used in your hardware store, or you might not have all the tools, but you know, it's, it's relatively, the construction itself is relatively basic tools, right? So some pliers, some screwdrivers, nothing super crazy, the drill and a drill bit. Yeah. And um, just, you know, each case is going to be different. So, you know, you have to just think a little bit outside the box to figure out what you want and plan it out before you, you know, before you dive in so that you know you have most of the stuff you need. And then it never hurts to ask questions, you know? Yeah, So, absolutely. And so, like, just at a high level here, so, you know, you've got your, your kit with the cooling blocks. And then yep. that's that's pumping water into like this intermediate reservoir in between where the ASIC is contained and the hot tub. And yep. so that that reservoir is where it's it's drawing its cool water from, right? Uh yeah. So that reservoir is there mostly so um to back up a little bit, like water cooling PCs, you always have a small reservoir in there uh for bubbles to get out air from the system, right? So there's there'll be air in the top of the reservoir and then the pump 
sucks from the bottom of the reservoir and then your drain drains into the top of the reservoir and then all the bubbles can get out. So I kind of followed the same thing for this because you can't just plug in a pump in line and you, you know, you're gonna have air in the system. So you have to get the air out somehow. So you need a reservoir to start to not get, or to get all your air purged out of the system. Once everything is purged, um, I've actually since uh, bypassed, so the inlet and outlet are both on the pump. They're still in the reservoir if I need to unplug them and purge it again or whatever. But the reservoir, now we've helped the efficiency um, because we're not heating up the water in the reservoir anymore. It's just flowing into the pump and then out of the pump through the tubes that are in the reservoir still. So the reservoir water stays at ambient temperature pretty much. And we've helped our efficiency by a degree maybe yeah. throughout the day. It'll stay a degree warmer because we're not losing heat out of the reservoir anymore. Um, but yeah, the, the reservoir is just to house the pump and to get air bubbles out of the system. And we did have air bubbles in the beginning and the efficiency was crap. So definitely get air yeah. bubbles out. Very gotcha. Helpful. And then another thing I thought was interesting was that when you set up those little manifolds underneath it, you did like this crisscross pattern with, yeah. the, with the hoses, right? And, and I've, when I first saw that, I was a little bit confused. I was like, why didn't you just run all the inputs on one side and all the outputs on the other yeah. side? But then it yeah. dawned on me that you're going to have one side of the board getting hotter than the other side of the board, right? And is that is that the reason for the crisscross? That's it. That's I it. Asked the exact same question. I was like, why are we doing this? I know that's a little bit of complication, and like it's not absolutely necessary for like someone who's just if someone's confused and they're just trying to figure it out, they can just go in on one side, out on the other side. Keep it simple, right? I just did that because I wanted cool water on one side of one plate, cool water on the other side of the other plate to alternate and then keep the boards a little bit more evenly cooled because the brains software and the chips themselves like that, you know, even coolness and you get the most efficiency having all of them at the sim same or similar temp rather than having half and half, you know, not that's going to make a huge difference, but even a degree from side to side can help. More sats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want as much uniformity in there as you can get right yeah Absolutely. and um the the fans i wanted to ask you about the fans so you've you've still you reclaim the fans from the asic right and yep. you you put them on to bring like air through the box that the asic is in yep are those still being controlled by the asic control board is brains talking absolutely. to those absolutely Yep. So it can ramp them up if it thinks it's too hot. And it's actually an audible indicator. If like you're outside and you're like, you hear the fans revved up, you know that there's a problem because they shouldn't be revved up. So you know that there's an air bubble inside one of the cooling plates and you're going to need to purge it. Uh, and so initially when we had air bubbles inside the plates, you can actually reach in and touch the plates and you touch all the plates and one of the plates would be hot on the top because there's no water flowing through it. And all the plates should be cold to the touch. Like you, you, you won't even notice, you know, it's like ambient temperature almost. They're very cool. So if there's a hot on one of the top of one of the plates, that's not good. And you're going to have to purge the air bubbles out. And that's probably one of the trickiest steps is getting the air bubbles purged. And, you know, with water cooling, it's probably, it's basically unnecessary to have the fans, but because of all the electronics we still have going in the box, it's good to have yeah. you know, one fan running yeah right right because you you're gonna i mean this is all set up outdoors right so you've got a cover on that box so it's not like the heat yep. can just 
freely as yeah and it gets up to 100 degrees here so it's nice to have just a little bit oh uh given just that it's outside like she was talking about that you know we have it outside so we do have the lid sealed up on the top and then there's only two holes in the thing there's the intake where we have a filter on it too and since it's the fans are still always on so we still have a little bit of airflow through it uh, so they, it's always sucking through the intake fan and then exhausting through the exhaust fan so that we're not going to get a lot of dust, bugs, whatever in there to get all over the miner and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You want to keep that air filtered and, and clean and yep. try and, you know, even though it's outdoors, you want to try and keep it as clean as possible. Do you have like a preventative maintenance schedule for it where you go through and clean out the air filter and just double check on things? Uh, well, it's only been operational for a couple of weeks, so yeah. maybe we should. Little mini data center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and so I wanted to talk about these results you're getting. So you were able to, at a thousand watts, it was like boiling your hot tub, right? It was like over 105. At a thousand watts, and I think we only ran it for maybe two or three hours, and it was like it hit the peak hot tub temperature. Like it didn't even calculate higher than that. And I was like, okay, because a thousand watts is what I heat my apartment with when I'm using the S9 as a heater. So I'm like, okay, let's start with that. That seems normal because when we're using the hot tub, we typically have it between like 100 and 102 degrees. So we're, let's just, you know, pick a number and see if we can hit it. And then it was like crazy high. So yeah, yeah we ended up, uh, so when, when we're not using the hot tub, like pre minor, we set it at 96 and then a couple hours before we use it, we'll turn it up just to save, you know, electricity. So we found that 500 Watts on the minor at this current weather is like 96 is like the average so that's a good starting point and then a couple hours before we'll turn it up to 900 or a thousand and it'll be 102 so yeah i mean in the winter we'll have to adjust but for the summer those are our target temps right now yeah and and i think i read somewhere on substack that brains will like save the auto tuning settings right so you can just like go through and select how how you want it to run and it'll it'll just pick up just like it was yep yeah Yeah, so we we ran the auto tuner it runs for about six hours so it does take a little time but we have it we have it auto tuned at 506 7 8 9 and a thousand just so any variable like you know weather we have we can like fine tune it to be exactly what we want it to be yeah that's why our neighbors thought that we were running a ice cream machine because it was like up, down, up, down, up, yep. down. Right, right. That's and it's, awesome. it's so easy to change it on, you know, you just yeah, go to your web browser, yeah. you put in the IP address, you Brain's type in so your easy, type yeah. in the wattage you want, and then it just does it. So you can do it in bed. Whereas, you know, before you got to walk out to the hot tub and right. change it. Uh, so it's like even easier than changing it on the hot tub itself. We also have an app to tell us what the hot tub temperature is. We're like, oh, is the hot tub a little cold? Let's turn it up. So we don't even, I don't even have to check it. Yeah. yeah it's really nice. That's great. It sounds like you guys knocked this out of the park. I mean, is there, is there in hindsight, anything you would do differently if you were going to start this project all over again? I mean, I'm pretty happy with how everything turned out, like, yeah. to be honest. We learned a lot along the way, so, <laughs> yeah. We, we definitely did it to learn and to have fun. Like, we didn't yeah. do it to, like, make money. Um, you know, we wanted to contribute to the hash rate and make a little KYC free stats along the way. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we 
figured out it's about 30% less we'll be paying in power with the hot tub now that we're mining it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, yeah, that's awesome. when we went into it, we were talking about it. I didn't even think it was going to be cheaper. Like yeah, we, we thought maybe break even, right? Where, where you're, you know, it doesn't cost you any more because you're getting the free sats. So it's awesome that it's literally cheaper to keep the hot tub warm and you're getting, you know, free sats. So. Yeah, it's funny how that works out. Like when I got into Bitcoin mining and I, I ran all my numbers and did my forecasting, I'm, I was like, well, I'm going to be losing like, you know, six to 18 cents a day. And that's OK, because I, you know, I'll just consider that the premium for not attaching yep. my identity to the Bitcoin. And, yep. you know, that was January of 2021. And, you know, then we went up, <laughs> ran up to almost $70,000 and the hash rate wasn't keeping up. And, and then there was the Chinese mining ban when the difficulty crashed. And it was just yeah. like, dude, it was just a year of, of making a lot of... It was like of, the golden of mining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I just, I encourage any viewers that are, you know, listening to this and thinking about whether or not they should get into it, you know, even if it... Even if the situation doesn't look like it's going to be profitable or in your favor, things quickly change on the Bitcoin network and you may be pleasantly surprised what happens. And it sounds like that's what happened to both of you. And, you know, that's aligned with my experience. So. And I would say even if, you know, even if you're you don't mind for heat, um, I'm super fascinated by everything that's happening with the methane flaring on landfills, on oil and gas rigs, like just capturing that methane, turning it into CO2 super efficiently. Like there's so much wasted, stranded energy out there. Like just dive in, like figure out how to capture it. And yeah. it's, it's crazy that Bitcoin incentivizes like, you know, capturing wasted free energy. So, right. It's, yeah. I love and I mean, that's a perfect segue to give a shout out to our sponsors, Upstream Data, because that's that's what they do go. is they provide the yeah. the systems to turn wasted methane into Bitcoin, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, it's so, also a great time. Sorry, go ahead. Oh. Just that you can get an S9 now for like less than $300. Yeah. Is... Last year it was like 800 so scoop up some miners while you can great time to grab because they're perfect for home heating because they're you know outdated enough that no one's buying them for like mining farms or whatever but as a home heater you can use a home plug you don't need a special you use a 120 plug right you don't need so you just plug them in in any outlet in your house and set them up as a home heater and they're pretty much as efficient as a space heater but you're getting the free sats so it's a right. great time to get into yeah, it. No. That, that's a that's a really good point. It's a it's a very low barrier to entry because yeah. you know you're only risking three hundred bucks. If it doesn't work yeah. out, it's not gonna make or break your living situation. Whereas like yeah. the next like generation miner you're gonna be getting is gonna cost you like almost five thousand yep. dollars. So that's a pretty yeah. big leap for people, and you know yep. five thousand dollars could make or break somebody's living situation. So. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point to start small and, and simple and, and just kind of build up the operation from there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's what's next? You you mentioned you're gonna try integrating an S9 into the home for the, the HVAC, the central air system to heat it, right? Any other? Um, so there's, there's a 
there's no HVAC. There's no HVAC yeah. here. We're just gonna we're I'm I'm gonna work on a quiet like a quiet box for an S9. Gotcha. Okay. A cheaper black box. Gotcha. Yeah. But that'll that'll still be inside the home and then that'll be the That'll be the inside for heating during the winter. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Are you gonna document everything for for people to Depends follow along? <laughs> um yeah, I'll I'll I'm gonna experiment with it and um I'm I'm trying to use like two hundred millimeter fans. So the stock fans on an S nine are tiny, they're like one twenties. And uh, so if I get uh, adapters uh, 3D printed where I can do a 200 millimeter fan for inlet and exhaust on it, or even just for inlet and get it down where like you can't, like it's like just a little fan, like a, you know, space heater fan that's quiet, that would be super awesome. So uh, that's the plan and we'll see how, see how it works. Are you going to use like the Noctua fans? I actually have uh, 140 millimeter Noctua's already. So I might start with those, see how those work. And if they're not quiet enough, then go for the 200 millimeters. Uh, and Aaron's already got a cooler set up. Yeah, for... I basically have like an igloo cooler um, that I put an S9 in with two holes on either side just to kind of keep down on the dust. And it was a little bit quieter maybe. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I used as my space heater last winter. So, so we might modify that a little bit more. Yeah. No, that's great. Diverter, no KYC on Twitter. He's the one who, um, you know, kind of kicked off this home mining renaissance with his mining for the streets guide. And that's what he started mm. with was a, he had a Coleman cooler and he put a okay. couple of holes nice. in it and, put his um i think he started with an s17 that he put in there um, oh wow okay yeah i don't know if you guys have read that guide but it's um it's like a very seminal piece in home mining history okay nice yeah check it out. yeah where can viewers learn more about you two and and where can they find this sub stack um i mean you can find us on twitter um at aaron e malone and uh stack sage yeah, and then we've our last couple of posts we've posted the Substack, so yeah, yeah, you can find it or just search a uh, hot tub mine machine. Yeah, come up. <laughs> it's probably going to be the only hot tub mine machine on Google right now. Yeah, great. And is there? Do you have any closing thoughts for viewers? Uh, Heat your house with a miner. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best time to get an S nine and um, that heat go to waste. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, all those. It's there's. It's really interesting right now for me because, uh, you know, the heating crisis in Europe that's unfolding right now, right? And the heating oil cost and all this stuff, right? Well, what if There's all these, solution. <laughs> what yeah. if like a bunch of these people were, instead of using heating oil, which is exploding in cost, put an S9 in every house, right? And that's the best part is it's, then you, the more, the more individual houses you have miners in, the more you're decentralizing the hash rate. And because you're not losing any money, because you would be burning the electricity as heat anyways, you're getting those free sats. So, I mean, the more the more decentralized and the more individual people get get into it and get miners going, the better. So dive in, do it. Bitcoin mining fixes yeah, a lot of problems, I feel like, because it, you know, it incentivizes like the overbuild of grids because um, it pays for it along the yeah. way. So I think there's just so much potential that hasn't been unlocked yet with mining. Yeah, I th I think you both bring up some really good points. The the more the the more we have hash rate in the hands of the many, then the hands of the few, yep. the better. Yep. And and I I think Aaron, you're absolutely right. There's going to be a lot of 
Bitcoin mining integration into the interconnects um, throughout nations, um, especially in the United States. Yeah. Well, awesome. great. Well, thanks thank for having us. <laughs> absolutely. This has been, you know, very informative and i hope that viewers are able to find all the resources they need in this great guide that you've put together and you know thank you both for coming on to the hashcast and and sharing your experiences and your project with us yeah absolutely thanks for having us yeah thank you That's all I've got for the show. I hope you have enjoyed. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Upstream Data, for any of your Bitcoin mining needs. And if you'd like to make a donation, navigate over to donate.econoalchemist.com or connect with my pay name, IcySun189. We'll see you in 2016 blocks.